0: Hi, this is Ron Darling with SNY TV. Um, You know me from covering the Mets, and uh, I hope you get a chance to listen to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. I had a great time. I hope you do too. Mets Musings is an unofficial independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. This
1: This is is Len Len and Jeff from Baseball and and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and and what's going going down down on the farm, it's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Mack. So keep Keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack, bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings.
0: And, and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. Hope everybody had a great week out there. Well, it's time. It's time for a special encore edition of Mets Musings. And we went way deep into the archives there cleared away the cobwebs and the dust to bring you this very special interview from a few years ago. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's coming up right now. I'm joined now by uh, a former New York Mets pitcher, probably one of the brightest spots in a dark era in Mets baseball. He was drafted third in the 1972 amateur draft by the Mets, opening day starter, uh, he won a National League ERA title in 1978. Uh, Had a 14-13 record with 10 complete games in 1979 with a team that finished 35 games out of first place. Uh, We all knew him and loved him as number 27. He is Mr. Craig Swann, and he joins us now on Mets Music. Craig, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Gary. Nice to be here. So uh,
0: let's start off with uh, your career. You were drafted, as I said, in the third round by the Mets. And What was draft day like waiting for that call? Did you expect to go, uh, or where did you expect to go, or did you expect uh-huh. it all to go?
1: Well, I did expect to go. I had pitched four years at Arizona State and was uh, All-American my last two years, but something very strange happened on draft day. Uh, I had a friend who worked for the Phoenix Gazette. His name was Tim Tires, and he was, you know, they used to send it on that, that UPIAP tape, and he says, "Swan, as soon as I see you... <laughs> I'll call you. So I gave him my number, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and the whole first day is gone. And I finally called him. I said, Tim, you got anything? He goes, no, I don't know what's wrong. And so the uh, second day they kept going, and uh, at the end of the second day he calls me and said, you were drafted in the third round. We lost it on the UPI AP ticker tape thing. <laughs> and so it wasn't showed up. So for two days I didn't think I got drafted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now everything is so instantaneous it's just it's it's hard to imagine that
1: <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah i can't you know not today that wouldn't happen
0: <laughs> and uh what were your thoughts when you heard that you were drafted by the mets having that great uh, pitching staff uh, with uh, siever and kuzman and matlack
1: well that's just it i mean when i then i you know i look at the pitchers, I said, Well it's gonna take me a long time to get up there. These are, you know, great pitchers. Um, but as pitchers go we get hurt and you know, spots open up. So it didn't take me too long to get up. And after a couple of years in the minors I was I was nibbling at the at the you know, at the big legs anyway.
0: Yes, you certainly were, and, and uh, you did have uh, uh, cups of coffee, I guess it'd be fair to say, in the 73, 74, and 75, and right. uh, got to play in 76, made the team, got to play with uh, Seaver and Kuzman, and, and I think Matlack was still there in 76, was he not?
1: I, I think so, yeah, I, I, I believe so. Yeah, I know John pretty well.
0: And then, of course, uh, you were there in '77 when the whole midnight massacre happened in June, with the trading of Seaver and, and Kingman. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, what was the feeling around the team at that time?
1: Well, losing Tom was kind of rough. He was, you know, he was a kind of our leader. He was the player rep. Um, he did all that work uh, with Marvin Miller and you know all the player reps. Uh, to establish free agency, and he worked real hard at that. So he had, besides being a great pitcher, he had our total respect for, you know, the amount of work he put in on this. And so losing him was a really rough, rough, rough thing for the team.
0: I, and, uh, I would imagine. And then the, yeah. the loss of Kingman, your offense as
1: well. Well, Dave, Dave, uh, you know, if he hit it, it was gone. But, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes he'd miss that thing by two or three feet too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and our offense, you know, throughout the late 70s was just going down because, you know, the, the uh, Payson's uh, and M. Donald Grant, they did not want to get involved with the free agency of 76. And so for four years, you know, we, di- we just lost our better players. And, mm-hmm. uh, and losing Tom, you know, that, that, was, that was a tough one. And I think part of that might have been because he was the player rep. A lot of the player reps of those, th- those teams – were traded away, and you know after free agency uh, came in,
0: mm-hmm. and of yeah. course uh, uh, M. Donald Grant and uh, uh, really Dick Young, uh, the sports reporter in New York at the time, he really did a hatchet job on Seaver to make him look bad, and uh, there was some bad blood there between Seaver and M. Donald Grant. It just—I remember the whole thing is getting very messy, and uh, yeah. Uh, very, it, it just broke the hearts of Met fans when, when yeah. Sivu was traded away that year.
1: Well, it seemed like Dick Young, before free agency he was kind of on the player side and then after free free agency he kind of went on the owner side and I think M. Donald might have had him in his back pocket, yeah. but I don't know that for sure. <laughs> I,
0: I think there it may have been York, some, you know? yeah, <laughs> be some <laughs> cash going back and forth there. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, but he, uh, after free agency, Dick Young kind of Kind of turned on the players for some reason. Maybe uh, who knows? A lot of a lot of a lot of people uh, didn't think uh, baseball players should be making that kind of money. <laughs> and they still and, don't. And now, <laughs> yeah, and they still don't. And it's a little bigger now, though. <laughs> In
0: fact, uh, I was uh, I was reading that uh, uh, at one point, I believe it was after 1979, you signed the richest contract for a New York Met pitcher. Uh, right. In uh, Mets history, making the obnoxious sum of uh, three point two five million dollars over five
1: years—that was the biggest one they had signed. We had a signed Foster, but you know he was an outfielder. Yeah. yeah,
0: do, you, yeah do you ever yeah. feel like you were born like uh, five years too early? Uh, I
1: always told my parents they could have waited ten years. They could've t- waited ten, <laughs> you might have better
0: you might have been on at eighty sixteen
1: then, yes, yes, I got <laughs> my arm was so bad by eighty four i was i was you know I was done, <laughs> but
0: uh take us through seventy eight now uh. Mm-hmm. uh uh, nine and six record, but you led the ERA, uh, in the National League with a 2.43. Uh, you always seem to be in the top ten of, uh, more than one pitching categories. And, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, as we said, you were, uh, not with the best of teams, both offensively and, uh, bullpen wise. I know you probably wouldn't, uh, Say that, that your bullpen probably lost a lot of games for you, but um, uh, what was it like struggling through uh, pitching so well Mm -hmm. and yet um, not having reflected uh, as far as the wins and losses go?
1: Well, as one one photographer, I forget George Kolinsky. You might know that name.
0: Yes, I do. He yeah. had
1: a picture a picture book of the Mets, and he pictured, he uh, labeled this time of the Mets as the lean years. And I definitely played during the lean years. <laughs> and it was again, we were not getting, we were losing our best players, and they wouldn't sign any free agents. Uh, pitching, you know, it was it was frustrating because, you know, if I gave up a run or two, I, I you know. <laughs> Would usually get a loss, and um, although at some point I thought it made me a better pitcher too, because I knew I couldn't give up many runs, so I kind of had to buckle down and um, you know just do the best I could. One of the, the funnier stats of that, or funny, strange, sad stat, uh, stats about that, that uh, year, was at All Star break, my record was one one and five with a two point five ERA. <laughs> <laughs> and, and luckily i kept it going so you know at least i got to, to nine wins and i think i was the first or second pitcher in history to actually win the earned run average as a starter and not win 10 games
0: wow That's, it's it's so, unbelievable
1: yeah it was it was frustrating but you know we were trying as hard as we can could we just we didn't have very good players
0: right right that was a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah. journeymen coming through New York at that time
1: that's right that's right and uh, they were getting the guys that weren't costing much money and they were keeping the costs down and then across the town there's George Steinbrenner you know he's he's spending as much money as he can and you know gets gets a lot of winning teams because he did it
0: now you did uh, we did say that you did play with some of the uh uh Best players in Mets history. Um, uh, what was it like playing with Jerry Kuzman? Did was he uh, uh, helpful to you at all? Uh, as well as Tom Seaver.
1: Uh, yeah, they both were very helpful to me. Uh, Tom, more about um, you know how to pitch each hitter because we were similar right-handed, hard-throwing pitchers. So the pitch selection that we make uh, with each hitters, I would I would sit next to Tom in the dugout and just, you know, okay, what would you throw this guy now, what location, what pitch? And that was very helpful. And then Coozie was 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 wonderful because he was he was always helping me out with my mechanics in the bullpen. So I had some pretty good coaches there, uh, besides my real coaches, but you know, great, great, great players helping me
0: out. Well, it's it's not too bad. A Hall of Famer and and, uh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> get another, yeah. yeah, a pretty good starter. though. Uh, mm-hmm. did have a bad year that one year you were there. He, he did lose twenty games. Uh, bounced back the next year, and uh, right. and as you said, that was a, a tough time in history. Um, oh yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, with the dawn of the 80s did you start to see any of the uh, um uh, potential that uh, once the double days took over Will Ponds and the Wilpons and they started drafting some of the younger players
1: well i did i was so excited that we were getting new membership i mean ownership because you know the, the other guy the, the, the old ownership again wasn't Going to go with free agency, it didn't look like, and we to compete, we had to get some of those free agents. So when Nellie and uh, Fred took over the team, I was elated, and uh, you know it took them a couple years. I think one of the bigger ones was when they got Keith Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they got George early, but George George Foster, he couldn't. Uh, He didn't have all those Cincinnati Reds hitters around him like he did (laughs) in Cincinnati. And so they pitched around him, and he was swinging at stuff in the dirt, and the poor guy tried as hard as he could, but, you know, couldn't quite live up to that contract.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah. And
0: uh, I guess your biggest season would have been 79 then, uh, 14 and 13. Uh, You had, I believe, 10 complete games, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a rarity nowadays, of course. Yeah, they don't let them go. No. <laughs>
1: no. I, was, I always wondered, I go, God, if I only had to throw 100 pitches, I wonder how long I could have lasted. You know,
0: <laughs> And you pitched a lot of innings in your career, too. Another thing that they don't let them do nowadays.
1: Right, right, right. Well, a funny story down in Tidewater, because I broke my elbow in 74 pitching. And um, so I go back down to Tidewater the next year and See if I can pitch, you know. After I healed, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Joe Frazier was the manager Uh uh, uh. in Tidewater, and uh, my arm was feeling pretty good. But he would, and this wouldn't happen today at all. When I pitched, I started a game. Let's say on Monday, my day on the throw on the side would be Wednesday—a day, you know, two days after Mm -hmm. I started. He wouldn't let me warm up until the end of the game. Because he might use me in relief, and he did <laughs> twice, and I got two saves that year in Tidewater besides starting. <laughs> now, yeah, I don't, yeah.
0: uh, any thoughts at all in, in uh, when you did suffer through some uh, injuries, uh, a, a lot of injuries in the yeah. in the eighties? Uh, some of them were a little freaky, you might say.
1: It real yeah, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I had stomach problems, I had boils in my armpit, uh, you know, I I can't remember them all. (laughs) Now,
0: I I seem Uh, to remember at the time that some of that, they said, might have been stress. Was that anything to do uh, at all, do you think, or...?
1: uh, Well, I think some of the stomach stuff might have been stress. But that didn't really hold me back as much as the arm stuff, Mm -hmm. and that was uh, stress in a different form, and I always thought that... uh, you know i one of the things that contributed to my injuries was i tried too hard okay i, I was always trying to throw the ball <laughs> you know 100 miles an hour and you know now that i look back i was a little younger then maybe you know not not as wise and if i could have cut it back maybe 90% until i needed to throw throw hard or hardest um i might have lasted a little longer so i think i think overtrying really uh, contributed to the biggest part of my injuries
0: and, and they say that's a lot of it now that, that guys do try to throw the ball through the wall instead of learning yeah. how to control it better. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, guys like Koufax and, and even those guys, uh, yeah. till they cut it back down, uh, they had control issues and problems and all sorts of pro- deals.
1: Yeah, the one the ones I loved the most were like Randy Jones and Tommy John, and they couldn't break a <laughs> pane of glass. But they could pitch every other day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a and little now, thinker, a little slider. That's all they had. In, uh,
0: in 1981, you had a uh, weird injury that uh, happened to you. You suffered a fractured rib. Do you want to talk about that at all?
1: Oh, but well, that was a comeback. Yeah, i come back from the rotator cuff tear. Uh, and pitched. I was actually the first pitcher to come back from that injury mm-hmm. because uh, they hadn't perfected the arthroscopic surgery yet. So I was out pitching. Uh, I was back in 81, and uh, we were playing up in Montreal. And uh, I think this might be a record, Gary, also. I have some dubious records. Um, <laughs> Tim <laughs> Tim Raines was leading off, a you know, great player. And uh, first pitch, base hit between third and short, okay? okay. <laughs> and Ron Hodges is catching. And so we know Range is going to steal, so Hodjo calls for a pitch out. And so I throw a pitch out. Hodjo comes throwing to second, throws it too low, and hits me in the ribs and breaks <laughs> one of my ribs. <laughs> and so basically, Reigns got to second. I was removed from the game, really from throwing only one official pitch and a pitch out. Um... And Rain scores. We never took the lead, so I threw one official pitch, and I got the loss. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if there's anybody's been done that, but <laughs> I, 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 that might be some sort of record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be a record. I'll take it. I don't care. <laughs> mm.
0: And it's it's funny you mentioned Tim Raines, because uh, now the talk is. Uh, Tim Raines going to the Hall of Fame possibly within the next. He has two years remaining on the ballot, and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, is he a Hall of Fame player in your estimation?
1: I gosh, I kind of think so. Boy, he was so tough. I I I always thought he was one of the better players of my day, but I I don't I don't know all the numbers and stuff. Uh Like you know, I don't follow the numbers, but he sure was a quality player.
0: And and you've played against and with some. some Hall of Famers, uh, Joe Torrey was your manager for a couple of years there. Uh, Absolutely. What can you tell us about Joe Torrey?
1: Well, Joe, you know, he came, he was a player, I think a player manager his first year with the Mets, um, you know, and he was kind of like a player, so he was. he was a good manager because I don't know, he just, you know, everything was always very calm and And, you know, nothing, never, not a lot of yelling. And uh, (laughs) he knew the game, so we just talked about that stuff. So he was a player's manager for me. And
0: uh, uh, you've also played with uh, uh, Rusty Staub.
1: Rusty, one of my favorite people on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 he definitely was. He was, uh, He was one of the nicest guys I'd ever played with, and we lockered next to each other for about four years
0: and i think uh, definitely i think he's a he's a hall of famer uh, i mean uh, not too many guys uh got as many hits in both leagues as rusty Staub did and uh, uh i don't know why he's not in the hall of fame but uh really uh, he was a great ball player really enjoyed watching him play
1: yeah had a really long long career too
0: and uh you mentioned ron hodges i'm an old catcher myself so uh, i love the catches ron hodges uh-huh, i remember sure. and john yeah. stearns of course uh uh, right. uh some of the players he played with a young wally backman uh, a little bit uh, what can you tell us about wally that you
1: remember wally well wally and i one of my favorite stories to tell is about wally and uh I, I've always been a sailor. My mom put me in the sailing school when I was nine years old in California, so I always sailed, and I used to rent catamarans off the beach down in Treasure Island, where we had spring training over in St. Pete. And Wally and I, I think we were, we were held back in spring training. Both had bad arms. And I took them out sailing in a catamaran once, and uh, we're about three-quarters of a mile offshore, and the boat flips over. Not a big deal. They flip over, and you can re-flip them and get back on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so we re-flipped it, and when you flip the boat back over, you kind of get in between the hulls as you pull down the other hull kind of on top of you, and then when it starts to come, you jump in between the hulls. And we did that, and we were hanging on to the trampoline, which is under the hulls, and I said, okay, Wally, let's just swim under the hulls and get on the boat. As we swam under the uh, the hulls to get on the boat, I didn't notice, but the front sail had cleated itself on one of the jib cleats. And as we let go of the boat, it started sailing away from us about five miles an hour toward Mexico. <laughs> I swam as hard as I could for maybe a minute, and I wasn't catching it. And I said, okay. I turned to Wally. I said, Wally, we've got to swim in. How good a swimmer are you? He says, well, Swanee, I'm not so good. I said, well, you stay about 20 <laughs> feet away from me, and we'll just go in nice and slow, because I didn't want him grabbing me or something. <laughs> 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 and we took 45 minutes. I, you know, I had him lay on his back and rest and do the side stroke. <laughs> and 45 minutes, we drag ourselves up on the shore, and I turn around, and I can just barely see my sail and my mast because the boat's <laughs> headed the other way. And all of a sudden, I see a windsurfer streaking across the horizon. He looks like he's out just about as far as my boat. And he drops, his, he drops his sail, and I see my boat turn around, and he sailed it right to us on the beach and said, I saw the whole thing happen. Here's your boat. And we sailed back out and got his windsurfer. <laughs> But we almost lost Wally, so he wouldn't have been on the 86 team.
0: (laughs) Well, thankfully we didn't lose either one of you
1: guys. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we made it. We made it. (laughs) Uh.
0: So um, now in, uh, I guess it was 82, you came back uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, finished with an 11-7 record, a 3.3 ERA, and uh, finished second at Joe Morgan for Comeback Player of the Year. That must have been uh, uh, quite uh, a feeling to come back after a couple of tough years.
1: It sure was. And, uh, you know, that, that rotator cuff was, uh, was something that, again, nobody had come back from. And I got real lucky on that one because Dr. Parks, who was our team physician at the, at the time, decided not to do the big surgery where they had to cut through all your major muscle groups to mm-hmm. get to the rotator cuff repair the rotator cuff and then sew all those muscles back together. When he found the dye leaking out of my shoulder, he said, "Swanny, we're we're going to try something new with you." And I said, "What's that?" He goes, "We're not going to do anything. For 9 months I don't want you throwing a baseball, lifting weights, no physical therapy, no chopping wood, um something I like to do in Connecticut in the winter, and uh <laughs> So he said, if I find you doing anything with your, you know, your arm, I'm going to put you in a sling for nine months. The idea is where the tear was. If we didn't stress the tear, Mm -hmm. the body's natural, you know, scarring tissue will lay over the tear. Mm -hmm. And then we can strengthen the arm down the road. But we want that tear to be filled up with that scar tissue. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's what we did. And that was the main reason, uh, one of the main reasons that I was able to come back for that, that 82 season.
0: And then in uh, was it the spring of 83 when you you tore the myofascial tissue?
1: Fascial, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, off the tricep.
0: And that really opened up a whole new uh career for you down the road, didn't it?
1: Well, it's uh that's it's exactly the same tissue that Rolfing works on and uh, I thought it was kind of strange that the the thing that actually finished me off from baseball is what I went on to To work on for the next 28 years yeah 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 the covering of the muscle the myofascial tissue is something that you know covers the muscle and forms the tendons at the end it's kind of like our muscles are contained in these white fascial Mm sacks and uh when a hand surgeon went into the tricep he said oh that's what you tore and he said i cut as much of the scar tissue away but the uh the way the body heals, the scar tissue is probably going to form over the nerve that was getting impinged. And uh, I tried one more time for, with the Angels uh, in spring training 85 and uh, had the same symptoms. So that was the end of my career.
0: And opened up a new career.
1: <laughs> well, it actually did. When Gene Mock, uh, that rough tough manager for the Angels, called me in. Um, one of my favorite stories about Gene is I pitched uh, pretty well that spring training, but once I got past third inning, Gary, I cu- I could feel this tingling going down my arms, and it didn't hurt or anything. But you know, the pitching coach, Mar- uh, pitching coach Marcel Lashman, would come and show me the chart, and right about where I could, I felt this tingling, the radar gun would go from ninety-one to eighty. Wow! And I couldn't throw it any harder, so they only needed a starter, and so. Uh, You know, I did really well until we had to go three or four innings, and then they could see it on the radar gun. And they kept me on until the very last day of spring training. And Gene Ma calls me in the office, and he's standing by the door. And uh, I said, I I know, Gene, it's okay. And this man started crying because he was having to release me. I had to grab him by the shoulder, Gary, walk him around his desk, and put him in his chair. He goes, you tried so hard. I said, yeah, but it's okay, Gene. My arm's shot. It's okay. He goes, you tried so hard. I said, it's okay, Gene. And <laughs> that's a rare occasion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a manager, you know, is crying because he's releasing the play. You don't see that much.
0: Now, is there any thought at all about going to the bullpen at all anywhere at that time? Because you could uh, get they in. They
1: made mention of that. Uh, I, I mentioned it, and they said, no, we really need a starter, not a reliever. And they had enough relievers
0: and and i guess in in today's ball you'd be shopping yourself all around but in those days they didn't do that as much
1: not so much no yeah. no no but you know i got released that day and the next day i was i was flying out of LAX uh back to new york and that's where i called the Rolf institute and started my new career i called them right from the right from the uh, airport with the quarters in the pay machine remember those days yes <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of quarters <laughs> and uh and uh, I, talked, I got to talk to the president of the Rolf Institute, and he said, well, what have you been doing the last, you know, 15 years? I said, uh, well, I've been trying to throw a baseball low in the strike zone. He said, what? <laughs> I said, well, I was a pitcher. And he goes, okay, well, you got to get a year of anatomy. He asked me, uh, you know, when did you go to school last? I said, ah, uh, I graduated from Arizona State in 82. And it was 85, he goes, well, you need to go back for a year of anatomy and physiology at the college level and then just give us a call. And uh, within a week of being released, I was at Fairfield University taking the entire year that summer on those accelerated courses.
0: Wow, that's a great story. And, and then you uh, had your own institute of rolfing in uh, uh, Greenwich, Connecticut?
1: Oh, I had my Rolfing office. Yes, yes, I, I had uh, right in Old Greenwich there for the last uh, 15 years. My son uh, is running the office now. He he tried the business world after a degree in Dartmouth and he ran the Rolfing after 2 years in business.
0: And you also uh, got to help a former teammate in Tom Seva.
1: Oh, with the Rolfing is back. Yes. He, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, he uh, we used to play quite a bit of squash and you know, squash is kind of a Tough game because the wood floors, the stops and goes, and we used to play doubles against other doubles team. And one day I saw Tom taking some aspirin. He took like ten aspirin out of his locker before the match. I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm stretching." I said, "That's not stretching. You're, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's not stretching. You got pain. You're masking it." He goes, "Well, I have a you know my back problem. I, I, uh, I don't feel my back after I take these ten aspirin." I said, "You can't feel anything after you take ten aspirin." But I said, Tom, you know, you might try rolfing for the back. I've helped a lot of people. And he said, well, Swanee, you know, my mom used to say when I was, you don't really want to fix anything until it breaks. And I said, well, I'm not going to argue with your mom. And I didn't say a word about it to him. He was still taking his aspirin. And about six months later, he ended up in traction at Greenwich Hospital. And I went over to visit him. And the first thing I said when I walked in the door was, are you broken enough yet? And that's when, he was, that's when he went to the Rolfing. It was really neat to be able to work on him and everybody, of course, because it's, it's very unique work, and it's, it's not like any physical therapy that you'd go through. Or And I was thinking about becoming a physical therapist or a trainer, but when I found the Rolfing, there was so much um, geometry and body mechanics and things like that, I just took to it.
0: And uh, so you ended your career in baseball, went into another very successful career. Uh, What did you miss most about the game?
1: Uh, People ask me that. I only have two answers. I miss facing the hitter. That was fun. (laughs) Travel, uh, press, you know, all that notoriety stuff. I didn't really like it that much. (laughs) But I miss facing the hitter and I miss my teammates. Because I, I, I was a good team, I mean, you know, I was a good, I was a team player, and I really enjoyed. You know, we hung around a lot together those twenty five mm-hmm. guys because right. spring training to the end of the season is eight months, and three months of it were on the road. You know, so those are the two main things: facing the hitter and my teammates.
0: Now, uh, also in nineteen eighty two, if I may backtrack just for a second, I just sure. uh, thought just popped in my mind. You had a uh, slight altercation with the new manager, George Bamberger, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and and his friend, Frank Howard. Do you care to talk about that at all?
1: You mean his henchman, Frank Howard? <laughs> 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 well, actually, the fight wasn't with George Bamberger at all. <laughs> okay. It was, Rich- it was with Arthur Richmond, the traveling secretary. Mm-hmm. And what happened that day, we were. Um, we were on the, it was Paul Newman's fault. Just remember that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we were flying commercial because the Mets didn't want to spend any money. <laughs> and uh, we get on the uh, commercial aircraft in St. Louis, flying back to New York. Um, Arthur Richmond comes back because well, all the players were in the back, all the coaches were in first class. And Arthur Richmond comes back and says, we're going to wait 30 minutes, Paul Newman's. Right, so we go, all right. So, we wait the thirty minutes. And Newman gets on in the first class. We never see him. They close the door. They wheel out on the runway. The computer breaks down, and we're on the tarmac for three hours. Oh boy! Now they're playing. They're partying up in first class. <laughs> you can hear them. <laughs> and the ball players, and I'm one of the older ones. Some of them are say, "Hey, Swanee, you know, we sh- we deserve first class treatment, and we're not getting it because whatever." And uh, so I go up to-, to Arthur, and I said, "Arthur, not for nothing." You know, the guys are complaining that we uh, we, need, get, you know, should have first-class service. And I guess he talked to the, the Stewie or something like that, and she wouldn't do it. So every time I went back, you know, 10 guys say, Swanee, come on, get up there! <laughs> and so I kept going up there like a fool, and Arthur and I started getting a yelling match. And um, basically, this yelling match went on all the way until we got off the bus at Shea Stadium. And of course, all the coaches had had a little too much to drink because they'd been on the tarmac for three hours with a two-hour flight, <laughs> and, and uh, so Arthur yells something at me, and I get off the bus and I'm yelling at him, and here's Bamberger, Mamboquette, and Howard, three shoulders abreast, blocking my my, my way, and Bambi says, "Swanee, that'll be enough." I said, "Okay, Bambi." I turn around, and Frank yelled. Swanny, you better shut your blanking mouth. <laughs> and I said, Frank, don't tell me to shut up. Oh. <laughs> and that's when he grabbed me by my my breast and lifted me straight up in the <laughs> air. My feet were dangling, and uh, that was the that was the episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was a big man.
1: <laughs> he was a big man. Yeah, he was felt real bad the next day and came over, hugged me, apologized, and you know, and things like that. But. You know, I didn't care. Stuff like that happens all the time. It just uh, all the press was around, so it got, uh, it got blown up a little bit.
0: Now, being involved in the health field for all those years, uh, I don't know how much you follow the game nowadays, but there's been a, a rash of... Uh, uh, Injuries, uh, mostly uh, Tommy John surgeries, pitchers, yes. as well a lot of um, – I don't even know how to – the stomach area, muscle pulls, the intercostal, I think it is, that they call it. Yeah, some of the intercostals, yeah. yeah. Um, any feelings on what's causing these? It seems to be an epidemic uh, the last couple of years. Yes. Any uh, Any thoughts on that at all?
1: I have had some thoughts on it, especially what I do as a rolfer and, you know, see where overstressed areas on the human body is kind of where the areas I kind of work on. Um, I think what's happened is the the guys are being, they're they're overdoing their workouts. They're building up that fascial tissue that we talked about before. Uh The covering of the muscle is under a lot of stress when you build the muscle up inside the fascial tissue if the muscle is, you know, built up so strong, you're just, if you make a wrong move, you know, the pitching, you can hurt your arm in one pitch. Mm -hmm. But if you make, you know, a wrong move with a bat or a throw, and you're stronger, you're more susceptible to injury. Um, You know, I just think they've overdone the workouts. I think we've Overdone this idea about this core strength, which used to be called stomach work back in the seventies and sixties. Right, and you know, it's just the word "core" is something that I, I uh, tend to think as a rolfer has been kind of changed. Where you know, back in the seventies, the sixties or seventies, somebody had a you know a rippled you know abdominal wall. You got the old six pack. Yeah, you know that was that was kind of thought of as it kind of that person might have some vanity issues that have to work out that much, right? <laughs> but if you switch it over from a vanity issue to a health issue, and now replace the word, you know, stomach with the word core, then it kind of opens it up. Now we're not doing vanity stuff; we're doing health stuff. But I think they've overdone that. They're much more um, susceptible to injuries when they over overbuild their muscles and. I think Sieber had one of the my favorite stories. When he got to the Mets, he told me he had a five-pound dumbbell that he used to lift you know, a little bit with his pitching arm. Mm-hmm. And the players from the 56, they warned him not to get muscle-bound. And, you know, if it was true that muscles, you know... If it gave you better performance. They'd all be bodybuilders, which right. I think they're kind of getting close to. Right. But again, when you overbuild your muscles, you are much more likely to get injured, and I think that's what's happened.
0: Uh, it it's, it's funny that you said it because we've had this. I do another podcast like this show, and mm-hmm. uh, I've said the same thing when the questions come up. I think they're in too good a shape. I think they, way, yeah. they work out yeah. too much. Um, I remember listening to Keith Hernandez on a broadcast one day, and, and oh. he said that he used to come into camp uh, a couple of pounds overweight and get into yeah. baseball shape.
1: Yes. Yeah. Nice and slow. Give your body a rest over the winter. My favorite was crane pool, of course, you know, he'd come to spring training and. <laughs> He'd go to touch his toes, and he'd get down to about his knees. And the coach would yell at him, and Crane would yell back, I don't want to pull anything. So he just stopped right at his knees there with his hands.
0: And and he lasted, what, 18, 19 years as a match, so maybe he uh, had something there.
1: Yeah, he could hit a little bit, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah he certainly could. Yeah, yeah. But, no, those were the days. We used to come in, yeah, spring training to get in shape, not to, uh, uh, I don't know. Well, you guys He's used guys- to... Yeah,
0: you guys used to have to work in the off season.
1: That's right, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Now
0: Absolutely. there's so much money, they don't even have to do that anymore.
1: No, the money's got a little silly. So it's we never knew it was going to turn into this <laughs> Gary, when we were you know going for free agency in '76. We were just trying to get Seaver a hundred thousand dollars a year because he already right, pitched seven years. <laughs> <laughs> two Saw Young, you know, two Young awards. Yeah.
0: and he's trying to get a hundred thousand a year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, Craig, I really enjoyed this. This has been uh, just a lot of fun, and I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, wish you well in your retirement.
1: Well, thanks so much, and any time
0: well that does it for this edition of the podcast this edition is brought to you by our patreon supporters if you would like to help in keeping this podcast going i urge you to check out our patreon campaign at patreon.com slash mets musings so thanks for listening to this episode and until next time keep the faith stay optimistic and let's go mets